is from Acts 10, 9-23. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 786 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, we do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. May God bless the reading of his word. The part that Bev just read for you is sort of the middle section of a very long part of the scripture. I didn't have a space to print it all. Perhaps you're familiar with this story, or maybe you're not, but by the time I'm done, I hope you will be. This is a story about a very important man's conversion, a Roman centurion. And it takes up the whole 10th chapter of the Bible. And I hope that if you're able, you actually bring your Bible to our worship time together because we're going to talk about this whole, this whole chapter together. We're seeing the conversion of a Roman centurion. And, if, and I will tell you more about that story in a moment in case you're unfamiliar with it. And, uh, and, and, we will, if, and we will notice that this is like the third or fourth consecutive conversion story that the, Luke, the writer of Acts, is telling us about in, the, in, the, in this book. We saw a little while ago, we saw some Samaritans being converted to Jesus in Samaria. And then we saw an African being converted converted to Jesus. He was a eunuch on his way back to Ethiopia. And not long ago, we saw a Jewish Pharisee being converted. And then, of course, at the beginning of this time, we saw a whole host of two and 3,000 people being converted to faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm speaking today about the whole idea of conversion. And so as we begin today, I would like to clear up a question about the morality of conversion. Now, perhaps because maybe we're preaching to the choir today, we always assume, well, conversion is a good thing. We want people to convert. But if you've paid attention to our culture, you know that a lot of people think it's not right, not even moral, to try to convert anybody to anything, to each his own, right? Don't try to convert me. Isn't that our culture that we live in? I would like to speak to that issue for just, uh, for just a moment because it is a, it is a difficult question. After all, today is Columbus Day. Did you know that? Yeah. 
is tomorrow, they say, but it was actually October 12th, but Monday. And Columbus Day is a little bit of a sketchy history for those of us who are honest about our history, because not all of what Columbus did was very healthy. Uh, for, and, there, and there are some people very skittish about that. And, and in fact, conversion, and part of what they do, did is have some forced conversions, so, and, and, and taking people as slaves. So slavery began when Columbus came. So a lot of people are, are skittish about this. So we should ask the question, isn't conversion outdated? Is it really moral to try to convert anybody to any, uh, any particular point uh, point of view. Uh, and uh, so I just want to talk about it just for a moment before we get into this text, because you may wonder about that question, and others you know certainly would wa- wonder about that. What we need to remember about all of this is that everybody has a point of view. Every single person has a point of view. And if your point of view is that people need to respond to Jesus Christ and accept Him as their Savior, that is a point of view, of course, Right? But if your point of view is that all religions are the same and nobody should uh, in, intervene in any, or suggest anything to any other point of view, other religion, that's a point of view too. Do you see, the, you see what I'm saying? They're all points of view. So while you might say to someone, you know, I believe that all religions are the same and that no one should try to point, push their point of view on someone else, I might say back to you, why are you trying to push your point of view on me? You see? The point is, everybody has a point of view. Everybody thinks their point of view is valid, and everybody wishes that others would share their point of view. So to say that we should never have a point of view, that, uh, that we should never uh, care about, uh, we should just affirm everybody's point of view, uh, is to minimize the whole problem, that we all have a point of view, and your point of view, that no one else should, ha- uh, 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 your, that every religion is the same, or all religions are the same, that is a point of view that your logic would say, I can't push that point of view on anyone else as well. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of unclear the way I said it, but it's important to note that. The question is not whether we have a point of view, but whether how do we treat those whose point of view is different than our own. And I think we can learn a lot from that, okay? So everyone has a point of view, and everybody thinks their point of view is best. And so when a person tries to, anytime you try to persuade somebody about something, you're trying to make a conversion, right? If I want to persuade you that baseball is the best sport, which of course it needs no persuasion because everybody already knows that, right? What? You don't know? Well, let me tell you. See what I'm saying? We all have a point of view, and I need to respect those who are different than myself, but, but you must also respect the fact that you have a point of view, I have a point of view, we all have a point of view. So we're looking here at the, the, the stories in the Bible where people's point of view were changed. Samaritans had a certain point of view about religion. This African eunuch had a certain point of view. This Jewish Pharisee known as Saul, he had a certain point of view. And so did Cornelius, the guy in this story. He had a point of view. And so uh, we want to take a look at this whole idea of the conversion of Cornelius. And you can put that down as your first fill in the blank. The Roman centurion. Conversion of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. It's a fascinating story. Romans 
were highly respected in that day. They weren't always loved, but they were highly respected. So this guy, Cornelius, was a Roman centurion in the Italian court, uh, cohort there in Caesarea. He was Roman, and he lived like a Roman. He lived in a battalion at a very important seaport there in Caesarea. But the Bible tells us, and I'm going to go back to some text that maybe you, uh, uh, that you may, may not have, uh, uh, that you may not be printed in your, in your notes there, that this man was a devout follower of God. Listen to the first few verses of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. At about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him and in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angels who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. This was about 35 miles away. Cornelius is an Italian soldier who's very impressed by the Jewish monotheistic religion. He's apparently not impressed by the religions of his day, the official religions, and he's following after God and praying to God and giving alms and serving. Uh, and suddenly, in the middle of that, uh, that prayer time, he has a vision, and the Lord says, I've heard your prayers, and I want you to send some men to Simon, who's staying with Simon there by the sea. Bring him, and he will give to you a message. So we see that Cornelius sends for Simon. And then we have this section that Bev read for you when they, when, uh, meanwhile, while, while, uh, uh, while uh, Cornelius is having a vision, the next day Peter himself has a vision. There's a second kind of conversion. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then after the next day, those men show up. So let's pick up the story there. Um, uh, oops, I lost my page. Um, let's pick up the story then uh, in, uh, in verse uh, 20, uh, 21. The men, and Peter, verse 21, went down to the men who had come to him and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Continuing. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him, six of them. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him, and he'd called together his relatives and friends. So when Peter entered, verse 25, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter said, stand up. I, too, am a man. And so they began to talk. Verse 28, he said, uh, verse 30, excuse me. Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for a man, a Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. 
And thus we have this beautiful experience where Peter, who had no idea that God wanted to communicate his love to a centurion far away, is able to tell to him the Jesus story. So we want to see something about the conversion of Cornelius. We know it about him, first of all, that he was a very honorable man. He was a uh, devout follower of God. He was not Jewish himself, but he respected the Jewish God, and he gave alms. He was a good man. So one of the things that we need to realize is that when it comes to what it means to be converted, simply being good enough for God is not good enough. This guy was a good man. He was an honorable man. He gave things, gave to the poor. He took care of people. He was a good man, respected by his, uh, not only the people he worked with, but even the Jews around him. And so this man helps us to see that just being good is not what's good enough, because if that were the case, God would not have said to him, I have a special message for you. This is a very difficult message for us to hear in the United States of America, because if you ask most people around us, um, we all think that God is kind of grading on the curve, right? And you just got to do, just do good enough. And God will then reward you according to your deeds. That's the common thing. If someone were to uh, uh, think, well, what is it that I'm expecting to get me into uh, heaven? Well, I try to keep the commandments. I try to do good things. I don't cheat on my taxes. I'm faithful to my wife. All these things. So we're all, many of us, natural, our default mode is to think there's something that we can do and ought to do to be able to get God to respond to us. Well, that is what this guy Cornelius was doing, and in fact, there was more that needed to happen in his life. And it's very difficult for us, uh, you know, well-meaning, good American people to realize that God is not grading on the curve with us, but that there is something more. We need to be converted to a different way of thinking. So the thing you can fill in there is his conversion was from faith in his works to faith in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. He needed to change his point of view from trusting in his own good deeds and instead trusting in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Okay? So listen to what Peter says to him in verse 34. And I think I printed this on the backside of your message notes, I think. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God does not show partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree." But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among them who were with them saw the Holy Spirit poured out on these people. What do we see that Peter is wanting to tell them? See, 
Cornelius, this devout man who's doing his very best to get all that God has for him, a spiritual seeker, someone who's really looking for truth, is led by the Holy Spirit to invite this man, Peter. He doesn't even know who he is. And when Peter comes, he himself is having a conversion of his own, but that's another part of this story. When Peter comes, he begins now to tell him the story of Jesus. You see, what God wants for us to understand is that it's all, always about Jesus. It's about our response to what Jesus has done for us. And look at what Peter tells him. It's important to see the various things that he says. He's talking to a Roman centurion, and he begins by saying, verse 36, as for the word that he sent for Israel, preaching uh, uh, good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now, when you say to a Roman centurion, Jesus is Lord, they don't hear what you hear. What they hear is, wait a minute, I thought Caesar was Lord, because that's what they said. Caesar is Lord. Peter is saying, this guy, this guy, he's going to say he died. <laughs> he rose again. He was hung on a tree. This guy is the Lord of all. And so he's letting him see that Jesus is at the center of what it means to really know God. Jesus is Lord. He came. Israel's Messiah is the Lord of the earth. Israel's Messiah is the Lord of the earth. And he says, verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. They're not that far away from there. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And he says, we are witnesses of the, all that he did, both in, Jews, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then he says this amazing thing. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. Do you, I mean, take off your 21st century spectacles and imagine what it must be like to hear about this man, Jesus, and you say, and here's what happened. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Do you know that that, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, is the, it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. He's basically affirming that this Jesus, who is the Lord of all the earth, was cursed by hanging on a tree. He's proclaiming to him that this Jesus fulfilled a destiny very different than, say, the Roman Caesar would. He put other people on the tree, right? Jesus himself went on the tree, okay? He, he, was, uh, he was hanging on a tree. It's amazing to me that the Christian faith affirmed the, uh, the scandalous death of their Messiah on a cross scandalous. It is an ultimate failure. There were many revolutionary movements uh, around the world. There were uh, some very important ones before and after Jesus, even would-be messiahs like Simon Bar Kokhba, another uh, 100 years later than uh, him. Um, very important messiahs. And when these guys die, that's when the movement ends. But in this case, the movement did not end, and they never stopped glorifying this God who died on a tree, this Jesus, this Messiah, this Lord of all who died on a tree. Because it says, verse 40, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. The fundamental Jewish uh, message of the gospel is that Jesus who died 
was raised again, that Jesus, Israel's Messiah, is Lord of all the earth, that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord, that Jesus, not your political party, is Lord, Jesus, not Wall Street, is Lord, Jesus, not, you know, whatever country you happen to live in, whether it's around the world or whatever, Jesus is Lord. It was an audacious message back then to say to someone who represents the authority of Rome, Jesus is Lord. But this was the truth of what had happened. They were witnesses of his death, and it says, uh, and on the third day he made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, we who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Think about that. They're affirming, and if you're familiar with the resurrection stories, they're affirming that this Jesus was not just a ghost, an apparition, a, a, you know, a middle-of-the-night seance. Yeah, but, oh, there he is. I saw him. No, they sat and ate like if I were going to sit in, at the table with the three of you, and let's eat together. He's saying, that's what we did because we see Jesus wasn't just raised spiritually. He was raised into a new body. And all of a sudden, they saw the future into the present. You know, uh, the, what, let me back up a little bit. Many Jewish people believed in the ultimate resurrection of the dead. Not all of them did, but most of them did. Uh, the Pharisees and all of them did. That someday, when God would turn the pages on history, all people would be resurrected, the righteous to life, eternal, the dead, the, the unrighteous to life, damnation. And then what happened at the end of time? But what happened with Jesus was that one person was resurrected from the dead. Like the future happened right here in the present. And he became the first fruits, the first one. So they had this great message of resurrection. I, 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 uh, I ate with him. I drank with him. This testimony. And not to all, uh, rose from the dead. And verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets, that's the Old Testament prophets, bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here we see the punchline of Peter's sermon. He's saying, Jesus was crucified as a criminal on a tree, but he was raised from the dead. He took the punishment for our sins in his life so that if we believe in him, we have forgiveness of sins. So what Cornelius needed to do was to hear this message about Jesus and respond in faith to that message. And that when he responded to that message in faith, he would receive the forgiveness of sins and he would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. He would be welcomed into God's plan. That was the message that Peter was sent to send to, to, to share with Cornelius. Peter knew that message. He'd been telling everybody, but this is the first time apparently he had told a non-Jewish person, realizing that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah for Israel, but he was the Messiah for the whole world. And the evidence of God's blessing upon this conversion was there by the giving of the Holy Spirit and the speaking of tongues that occurred right there before they even turned out to become Jews first. I mean, Peter would have thought, shouldn't they become Jews and then they can follow Jesus? No, it happened right then. God says, okay, that's enough. He believes he's in. There's my spirit. You see? We'll talk about that later as we go further into this story. So the thing that we need to see is that Cornelius had a conversion experience. He was converted from trusting in his own good works to be, receive merit from God, and instead trusting in the good work of Jesus who was cursed on a tree 
and rose to new life, an, an eating, drinking, spiritual, bodily life. And as he had pl placed his faith in that Jesus, his life changed and he received forgiveness. He discovered that getting right with God was not something that he needed to do to earn God's favor, but rather something that God had done through Jesus in order to impute, to give to him his favor. And he placed his faith in them. And so, conversion of Cornelius is a conversion that every one of us needs to go through. We need to move away from trusting in our own good deeds our own worthiness, our own point of view, and rather say, you know, this story about Jesus must be the true story. I have faith in Him. And if you have not made that decision, that uh, response of faith to Jesus, my goodness, do that today. It's not something you can do yourself. It's something that God does in and through you as you respond in faith to Him and now, very briefly, I'd like us to take a look at another conversion in this story. It's the conversion of Peter, a Jewish apostle. Peter needed a different kind of conversion, and it was a very important conversion for him, one which is very difficult. And his conversion was from this, from Jesus for us to Jesus for everyone, from Jesus for me to Jesus for everyone. See, until now... Peter had thought that Jesus had come just for Jews, and God had done a miracle in his life to let him know that God is now spreading this news for everyone. So Peter needed to be willing to realize that there was no partiality with God. That's why he says at the beginning of his sermon in verse 34, I understand that God shows no partiality. In the part which Bev read for you earlier, you notice that Peter was hungry and praying, and having a vision, and suddenly all this food, all this taboo food, according to his religion, is brought before him. And he hears, eat, you know, and Peter says, no, Lord, I would never eat such a thing, you know, stuff that was off limits. And then what the Lord said to him in that vision, what God has called clean, don't call unclean. This happens three times. And it's in the midst of that prayer that suddenly these, three, these men from Joppa show up, okay? accessory uh, uh, to show up in order to uh, say, take us to Cornelius. So Peter's thinking, what in the world is going on? What he's beginning to do is, well, he gets invited into the Gentile house, and he says in the text we read, I've never come into a Gentile house, uh, but the Lord has told me not to call unclean things he has not called unclean. He made the connection between the unclean food that he had seen in his vision and the unclean Gentile that he was now in the presence of, he walks into there and he sees this whole host of people like this, Cornelius gathering all his friends, and they say to him, tell us what you know about God. And Peter sort of says, well, now I see something. God does not show partiality. And so Peter realized that the gospel was for everyone. Sometimes we need to be careful that we do not take a purely ethnic approach to the gospel. Sometimes we can view people more by their racial background, by their economic background, by the part of the country that they live in, by their citizenship, and not realize that when Jesus came, He came for everyone. We split up in all kinds of ways. You know, here in Cave Creek, we, you know, we've got, some of us are dressed up like cowboys and some of us are dressed up like suits. Well, they have suits and boots, right, here in this town. You know, and we are so prone to separate out. 
But what the gospel does is it levels the field. We all come to God the same way through Jesus. And, there's a, and this is the beginning of a fascinating story that will unfold as we go through uh, Acts further on to see that these Jewish Christian followers of Jesus began to realize that God was doing something they hadn't expected. That while people, that people could retain their ethnic identity and still become a follower of Jesus. That was so revolutionary to them. They could see that someone might become a follower of Jesus as long as they came into their ethnic identity. And we have the same difficulty today. We can want everybody to be just like us if they'd only act like us, you know. We need to realize that Jesus' good news allows each of us to retain our ethnic identity, our economic identity, our geographical identity, our, uh, you know, all, our, our citizenship, all these things. We can retain those things, and in the midst of that, we can follow uh, form an allegiance to Jesus Christ so that you have uh, Christians spread all over the world, uh, every tongue and tribe and nation, people worshiping the same Jesus in different languages and in different ways, but all having come to the same belief in this same story that, G- that Peter told about, uh, about Jesus, that Jesus was God's representative on the earth, that Jesus was God in the flesh, we ultimately came to realize that He came and He died for us and was raised for us so that we could receive forgiveness. And whether we say it in English or in Swahili or in Arabic, whatever language we say, it's always, always been about Jesus. Well, today, I hope to convert you. If you are like Cornelius and have been thinking that maybe there's something you need to do to earn God's favor, that God's got a scorecard. If you're going to count on your scorecard, let me tell you, you're not going to make it. But there's another scorecard which has been written up for you, and it's Jesus' perfect scorecard. He died for our sins so that we could receive His forgiveness. If you've not placed your faith in Him, today is the day you ought to do that. And you will be able to receive the Holy Spirit, and you will receive the assurance of forgiveness, and your life will change. And then there's a second conversion. Too many of us are way too ethnocentric in our faith. We just want everybody to be like us. We don't realize the gospel goes all around to all kinds of people. We put other identities first, and we shouldn't do that. So we maybe need to learn to reach out to people who are different than ourselves and to show them the same love that we ourselves have received from Jesus. Let's say a prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, this good news message is not um, just for Jews. It's not just for, you know, American people. It's for the whole world. It's for everybody, and it's for us. Thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. We celebrate that today in His name. Amen. Amen.